podcast ain't played nobody, Bill. We were so close. Oh yeah. I don't. You haven't. Even, we haven't even talked about this. Okay. We were so close. Triple option. Yeah. Power five. Yeah. Not Georgia Tech. <laughs> a West Coast. Look, I don't think we're in a period of mourning. I don't really care about the off season. Okay. Off seasons exist, so in seasons can exist. All right. Ooh, that's, that's, that's kind of profound, right there. Well done. My uh, there's there's your little slice of college football Taoism. Arizona could have hired Kenny. <laughs> I just, I mean, we're in mourning. All, the PAPN flag is at half staff. All, all our hopes and dreams. Well, look, there's some legitimacy to this. We'll get into it, but Bill and I don't normally we we try and save it for the show, right? We want that we want that good quality that you hear to be fresh. <laughs> Spontaneous, right? Completely we know how to make the marriage work. Uh, very minimal. Yeah. Well, I mean, we, we have signposts, and then we kind of riff off of that, and then we couldn't wait because I messaged you as soon as it happened that I knew about it. I was so excited, so excited. <laughs> I'm, I'm scrolling through. It was Friday, January twelfth. Yeah. I said expletive expletives man are we gonna be sb nation arizona or what if that damn neo news is true <laughs> and this and then i then i said some other things i probably should say on the air revolving involving other coaches in their situations but you knew it i knew it um i said all this is gonna make sense in three years when they would chipper the f out of arizona state <laughs> and Utah in the big tiers. this is true yeah. could have happened yeah Oh, man, this is tough. This is tough. This could have been the thing, by the way. I appreciate everyone who, who picked up on my malaise in the previous episode about the culture of college football, and they, they're all trying to make me feel better. I know. This could have been the thing, Bill. It's not you the thing. Whole, you got a whole team of people just working to make you happy. That's got to make you happy right there. Exactly. This is Podcast Ain't Played Nobody. This makes me happy. My name is Stephen Godfrey uh, at 38 Godfrey. I'm going to do the intro backwards because okay. I'm depressed. Um, that is the robot Bill Connolly. You can reach him at SBN underscore Bill C. He is the proprietor, inventor, and um, disposer, disposal, distributor of disposal. Yes, plus. Well, I, I was getting there. I said distributor. Um, that's what live improv is about. Okay, not not all the not not all the comedic bonds motter necessarily genius all right he invented the s&p plus analytics system he's written multiple books you can find them on amazon and occasionally actual bookstores but don't get crazy about it bill yo we had the flag to plane in the off season oh my god back up for a second rich rodriguez um dismissed still still a strange situation there and that either side is not really ex- accepting of the other's explanation <laughs> for, the, for the dismissal with the sexual harassment suit the way that the contracts terminated, I don't think that you know, I don't think that necessarily goes quietly into the night. But if we can just put a big butt around that, Arizona opens a coaching search. Really interesting time. You know, we've we we get this every year now. Um, I would say what almost every year at this point. You either have them way way too early in the cycle, like Steve Spurrier retiring all of a sudden, you get Art Briles and Baylor, Hugh Freeze and Ole Miss. This happens. We've never had one happen basically as we put a bow on the college season on the coaching cycle. And I know people are out there yelling, well, probably not if you're listening to this, but what about the NFL? I, I feel like that transition, the, the, the guy being the major college coach that goes in the NFL, when, when's the last time we've, we've suffered one of those on the, on the college side? Uh, there, hmm. It's been a while is my point. Yeah. Uh, uh, 
I, I know there have been some since Petrino, although maybe well, Chip Kelly, obviously. I mean, Chip Kelly and Pete Carroll are the last two that I can think yeah. of. Hmm. So it's pretty rare. So when people say, "Oh, well, you got away, you got away for you know the Black Mondays of the NFL," no, I, I just I don't see that turnover happening near as much as it used to. I mean, we we didn't even get the David Shaw rumor this year. <laughs> kind of off, you know. Um, although I guess there are some NFL vacancies still left to, to fill. So um, remind me, let's put a pin in this. Bill, take a note. Mm-hmm. Helfrich to the Chicago Bears. That was lovely. That's pretty cool, right? That's pretty cool. Um, all right, I'm bouncing all around here. Here is the deal. <laughs> Arizona ended up benefiting by this weird timing with the sexual harassment thing, even though they didn't fire him when they, they had to complete this internal thing, whatever. They end up firing Rich Rodriguez in an odd time. They end up making their hire. They go through their hiring process at an odd time. It was actually really good. Yeah, it worked out pretty well. They got a ton of exposure. They talked to a ton of candidates. Um, obviously, they ended up uh, hiring former Texas A&M coach Kevin Sumlin. Good hire, great hire, good recruiter, great recruiter. Um, I don't know if he necessarily stands out as much as people are saying early on in the Pac-12 South, specifically in the Pac-12 culture. I think he's got a lot of L.A. in him, and I mean that in a good way. He's got a lot of West Coast in him, and I mean that in a good way. Um, he's going to find a much more amenable culture in Tucson than he ever did, even when he had Manziel in College Station. He, he basically gets to lay down all of the angst of that one <laughs> place in Texas for, um, I guess, in the worst-case scenario, this, this sort of ennui of you know a basketball school in a small town uh, in, in roughly the middle of nowhere. So no place is perfect, but I think it's a good hire. Mm-hmm. I think someone will be there for a while. Um, I think, and this is how we get back to talking about what we want to talk about. I think he's good for Khalil Tate. Now, I think Khalil Tate's tweet that was quickly taken down off of um, off of the Twitters. I think that was what changed the tenor and the tone of the relationship or burgeoning relationship communication between Niamatinello and uh, Arizona. Sucks. I, it would be. I would be surprised if it didn't have at least a role to play there. It was too kind of perfectly laid out. Um, so yeah, for those who don't know the, the, the new rumors get, pick up pretty hot and heavy. He apparently has an offer on the table, blah, blah, blah. And then Khalil Tate briefly tweets. I didn't come here to run no triple option basically. Um, now this could have been rectified. He could, they could have had taught, you know, they could have arranged to talk things out coach and player and, and it maybe would have all worked out just fine. Not everybody, every player wants their like random assistant coach hired. And, and a lot of people kind of balk at whoever is brought in initially. And then it's gets smoothed out most of the time. So it could have happened that way too. But, um, you know, however it played out from there, you know, details we don't know um, whether he, he just did, whether, whether uh, Niamatololo just didn't like the offer, whether it, the offer changed, whether just the vibe changed, whatever it was, uh, he's it's pretty clear that a he's open to leaving Navy, but B it pretty much has to be perfect. And, and if there's anything that doesn't feel just right, he's not going to go cause he's got it pretty good. That's, that's always been my interpretation. It was my interpretation with BYU uh, when he interviewed for that job. Uh, and it's my interpretation now. Um, but regardless, they got the guy, I just kind of assumed Arizona state would get a month and a half ago. Oh, and- we assumed that for, I mean, <laughs> that, that was a conversation the, the the Kevin Sumlin sweepstakes was Arizona State and UCLA, and I had those conversations with people right. in the industry as early as August. So in no way was this um, – when people assume the Arizona State thing, it, it was an assumption. It kind of like, oh, those two pieces sort of fit together. Yeah. But it was also a thing, straight up. 
No, and and I, I you know Arizona State did what Arizona State did, uh, which. Uh, that's the first time I've ever written a piece. Uh, They're the first school I've ever written a piece about that basically announces, I will now try to talk myself into this not being a terrible hire. Um, And I I didn't really pull it off either. But regardless, yeah, Arizona had a good pull of candidates for the timing that they, for the awkward timing of everything. Obviously, though, like I I still want to see what what Niu can do uh, at a Power 5 job. If it doesn't happen, it doesn't happen. But this would have been good. Like if he and Tate could get on the same page. Number one, I mean, he showed what was it the air force game that I, I watched the navy air force game and i put it in my top two top 100 list uh which we'll discuss shortly um it was a really fun game and one of the most interesting parts of that game was that basically like he when he plays army or, or air force uh, you know the option teams they uh, their offense doesn't click all that much because it truly is something that the other team practices against a lot and so against air force he came out and they did a lot more zone blocking they did like almost a, like a shotgun spread option kind of offense for a for a chunk of the game uh and it worked they had to they had to score 45 to win because they gave up 42 but they scored 45 um really fun game and i think like there was just a hint that you know they, this is isn't he, the, the option works and I want to see it more at the power five level, but he, he's flexible with it. It's not, it's, this isn't some sort of, I know one thing and I'm going to do this one thing. I think he's hint like he's shown little hints that he could do other things. If the talent was there for it, uh, I would hope that he wouldn't go anywhere where he's being asked to change because he's too successful for that. But uh, regardless, it would have been really, really interesting, especially with a guy like Khalil Tate in charge, if, if Khalil Tate was behind center and remained on campus and all that. Remember one thing, or maybe you don't know this, those coaches run those systems out of necessity. They are not, you know, some people, Paul Johnson, certainly an advocate for the system, but those coaches know more than triple option. And also they know that there's a lot more that option can do. I think people forget that. I mean, they're going based on what they can access in terms of the talent at the academies. Um, I think part of the, I don't want to say problem here is that Paul Johnson is such an adherent to the system, to the under center triple option, the, the sort of triple option in your head that you think of that he went to a power five school that has its own issues in terms of funding and the way they recruit and how they market themselves in one of, in one of, if not the most talent rich city in the entire United States. Um, we're watching one of the fiercest recruiting battles shape up for the next five years between Alabama and Georgia who just played a national championship in the city of Atlanta. Georgia tech is, you know, they're an isolated conversation when we talk about this kind of stuff. The, the one that actually got me excited about Nia Machinolo um, and then who knows, by the way, this isn't just limited to one coach who's had success. I think, you know, you're, you're seeing what Army's shaping into in terms of the same rank that what Navy was doing 15 years ago. So maybe in a couple of years, people start mentioning Munkin's name in the conversation. I think if he goes to Oregon State, it's a better it's a better answer to what those teams in the North have to deal with. Right. Not that I, I still think it would have been highly effective in the South, but in the North, because those systems are so varied anyway. Yeah. Um, I think it would have been the perfect. I mean, honestly, it would have turned it into the most interesting f- division yep. in all of football, in just in terms of scheme. Yeah, the, yeah. In terms of scheme, or, you would have had Oregon. Crystal Ball is probably going to run an iteration of. I mean, I don't even know what we call. What do we start? Smash mouth with? spread. I don't know. Smash spread. I think no. Taggart had a better name for. It. Anyways, I know he's going to run an iteration of that, but basically, open spread concepts with inside, like a lot of heavy inside runs, that kind of thing. Um, 
Washington is Washington. So what do we call Washington? Like um, quintessential multiple? How's that? Sure. sure. Yeah, we'll go with that. Quintessential multiple. Um, Wazoo, Mike Leach, you know what he's going to do. He's going to do his own specific thing, right? Stanford, they're going to run the power. They're going to run the pro set. They're, they're, they're going to sign all the t- They're going to sign all the tight ends. They're going to 85 tight ends, right? So as you go game to game, week to week, did I just leave anyone out of the Big 12? Oh, uh, Cal, California. Cal, yeah. yeah, Cal's going to run. Cal still. They're still trying to decide how they're going to stand out. Yeah. You don't think that they would stay. They ran air raid concept, but I don't think it was like there was some. I think there was some desire to move away directly from the Sunny Dykes playbook, although they were loving that for a while. They just didn't like Sunny. Right. So it would have been more dynamic, I think, is complimentary and annoying, too, to those teams in the North. No, no, it would have um, been great. Still would have worked in the South. Um, man, it's. Yeah, no, it, and, like, yeah, I, it I sucks always, because it could have been, it just could have been something that a lot of conversations that we have are born yeah, out of. And I, I, I always want to be very clear. Like, he, if he was flexible and he wanted to make some changes and tweaks, he's more than capable and he's, he, it's possible he would have. He doesn't need to change his offense to succeed in the Power Five. That's the one thing I can yes. harp on over and over again. Georgia Tech has had many good offenses. Uh, in, 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 you know, he's been to, Paul Johnson has been to two, uh, made two orange bowls with uh, mediocre at best defenses. And if, if somebody like Neo, who's probably, I think Neo has a higher ceiling than Paul Johnson uh, in terms of recruiting and, and things of that nature. Uh, now, I mean, granted at Arizona is different than Georgia tech, but Georgia tech should have an advantage there. And I don't think they would. Um, I, I like, I, I think he might have a higher ceiling and I'd be really curious to see what defensive changes he makes. I think that's where the necessity part comes in. He runs a three, four bend don't break. Cause he doesn't have a choice. Uh, right. The option will work. It just will. Uh, it, it, it has, and it will. And, and I, that's what I want to see a, a team take a leap of faith with like, but yeah, well let's help you with the defense. Cause that's, that's, I, I got annoyed last week when it looked like Nia Matalolo was getting the job because the people were speculating about, you know, what changes are you going to have to make for this offense to work at the next level? And, and it was, I, it, I was going crazy because nothing needs to, if he wants to change, great. He doesn't have to, because it will work. It's the defense where I, he needs help. And, and I think that would be really interesting if you've got this uh, grinded out, ridiculously efficient, uh, high win probability, close game win probability offense, because you know every year I put out those uh, overachiever and underachiever lists in terms of whose record is more consistently above like those post game win expectancies that I do. Um, it's option. Option is at the top. Option is how you win close games. And I think it would absolutely work. But if you've got a really nice cranking uh, Arizona option, triple option offense, and then you're able to sign some defenders out of California and all this and play an interesting, aggressive defense where you can turn teams over and get the ball twice in a row real quick, you know, back to back for five minute drives. Um, that, like that would be a miserable experience trying to play them even more miserable than it is now. Uh, and I, I, that's what I want to see. And I thought for a minute we were going to see it. I have so many thoughts, but we could do an entire show on the man. We could really, I mean, Neo should have hired us. Honestly, we could have gotten him a job somewhere. I really feel like that. Um, that book is nowhere near completion. They can do amazing stuff. I mean, again, I go back to this a lot and maybe I'm broken. Like Auburn won a national title doing this. They just did it in a different way. <laughs> I mean, I'm not saying you get Auburn talent in Arizona, 
but at Arizona or Oregon State, what you do is apply the Statesboro me- methodology to recruiting. Not ne- not necessarily the playbook because they're very adherent. They they don't even want you lining up a shotgun, but they went out and built that program because they were the other pardon the pun option for talent in that region of the United States. There were a lot of right. there were a lot of good football players that fit that scheme that couldn't go and get, couldn't go anywhere else. You'd go to you know Valdosta. They're running Hal Mummy, so guys at fullbacks, tight ends, you know, um, slightly undersized linemen, but with, you know, with maybe D one talent in certain regards, it fit. That's how it worked. And you can go into those regions of the Pacific Northwest all the way down into Northern California and then go through the desert, West Texas into LA and do the same thing, pack 12 North or South. So it's interesting. I think at this point, I just think they need to like rename the offense. So people won't immediately have the, you know, the reaction they do. So I, I don't know. I don't know. Bill, how about you, I have a question for you. I, I'm going to okay. jump in here. I got a question for you. So okay. uh, we're talking Arizona. We're talking Pac-12 because we know that's what the audience, uh, that's, what, that's what college football fans clamor for. Um, you like Noel Mazzoni. I like I him. Think uh, I think he's a funny guy. Yeah, he's, he's, he's a very good quote. Uh, okay. As an offensive coach. <laughs> um, he's unkillable. How many okay. jobs now? This is, yeah, un- I mean, a lot. So it's a his, lot. His uh, starting in 95 when he got his first uh, offensive coordinator job. So 95 to 98, Ole Miss offensive coordinator. 99 to 01, Auburn offensive coordinator. 02, Oregon State. 03, 04, NC State. 05, Ole Miss again. Uh, 06 through 08, he goes, he's Jets receivers coach. 09, he's the offensive coordinator at Panther Creek High School uh, one in North Carolina. And then in 2010, he returns. He, he gets back with uh, Dennis Erickson, two years at Arizona State, uh, four years at UCLA, two years at A&M, and here we are. Now he's at Arizona. I like Noel Mazzoni. He's, he's an adaptable guy. Um, you know, he, well, I mean, he's gone from Tuberville to Dennis Erickson to, uh, well, Kevin Sumlin. I was really hoping that Sumlin would – use the job change as kind of a reason to step back and, and get back to his roots a little bit with the, with not, if not air raid, then at least kind of the more spread, hardcore spread, we'll say. Um, <laughs> so of all the places I just mentioned, where has Noel Mazzoni ever had a, had a running, uh, like a true mobile dual threat quarterback? I mean, Brett Hundley was all right in that regard, but he didn't run much. They didn't want him running much because if he got hurt, then it would be like a wall. It'd be what's his yeah, name, uh, Moore, New Heisel's son. I didn't think Mora wanted that. Uh, at Arizona State, he had um, Brock Osweiler. Uh, at Ole Miss in 05, that wasn't yet Brent Schaefer, I don't think. No, uh, Shiv was recruited in uh, to play starting in 07. Six. That's Six or I, seven, uh, yeah. Yes. So they yeah. in 05, they, in his first year, they inherited a, a rotation of Cutcliffe quarterbacks. It was Mike Spurlock, a guy named Robert Lane, who's a really good baseball player. They converted to tight end and a pocket passer named Ethan Flat. Why do I know that? It was my first year on a beat. Um, you ne- so, you so never so forget that information. Ones. 0304 at NC State. Uh, 03 was, yeah, Philip Rivers last year. He got year. Rivers. Rivers became his calling card for a long, long time. Like Orgeron Rivers. touted him as, like, right. like that was, that was like, this is why I don't know Mazzoni. Yeah, not, not a mobile, not a mobile guy. Um, 02 at Oregon State, I don't remember. Like, so basically, like, uh, th- this is going to be brand new for Noel Mazzoni, uh, Khalil Tate. And maybe 
that works out great sometimes. Well, I mean, Kevin Sumlin, every time he goes to a new job, he, he does really well at first, just kind of figuring out what he's got and adapting to it. So maybe that's what happens here. But I was really, I was hoping that I would, he, he kind of go back to that tree a little bit instead of just bringing over, not only bringing over Noel Mazzoni, but then keeping Marcel Yates uh, as defensive coordinator, which, I mean, his defense was crazy young this year. And, and maybe he's a good DC and he just needs the right talent. But uh, he, he signed up Yates really quickly too. Like I, I kind of wished he would take his time with both of those. Uh, and he just jumped right in with Mazzoni and, and, and Yates. And I didn't like that very much. That said, you know, again, top three freshmen or like four of the top six tacklers were freshmen. There are like at least two or three other freshmen in the, in the rotation. Maybe he, Yates will be great. I don't know, but it just, I, he kind of jumped in like, all right, what do we got? All right, let's roll. And that was it. He didn't really take his time very much. No, that don't, I mean, by the way, let me touch on this real fast. I don't like to reinforce this narrative, but the whole why is it different out West? Marcel Yates' ass would have been fired so fast as a sacrificial move after his first season in Tucson. And right. then not only is he not fired, he's, he's retained by, Rod, by Rich Rod. You have a legitimate amount of people who are trying to push for him to get the head job. Like fans and right. players and stuff. Yeah, That's no. the difference. Flat out. No. If you show the ability to like recruit even slightly, people will just that's the ultimate faith right there. Um, and it's kind of crazy. They were 115th in defensive S&P plus crazy young, but what's your ceiling when you're 115th, like 70th, like what, you know, I, I would like to see him aim a little higher. I still really like someone. And again, he's, he seems to be a good out of the gates guy. He was, you know, 18 wins first couple of years at Houston, although he inherited a lot from our Bryles, you know, redshirt freshman quarterback in 2013, he inherits that from uh, at, at Texas A&M goes a long way with that um and he's got a really good he, he inherits uh, an experience but more experienced defense khalil tate etc 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 they got a really good running back to jj taylor um like they, they, there's a lot to work with and i assume he'll do pretty well i just i wasn't blown away there of course then again you know once derek dooley was off the table who really oh, can you hire yeah that happened to missouri they hired him still yep. yeah think about the nine months i get to remind you of Hiring Derek Dooley, the, the next nine months. I'm with what he inherits next year. I assume he'll do just fine this year. It's it's uh, 2019 when suddenly there's Bill? a reset and what uh, and he's got to carry. Let me tell you something bit. about making that kind of assumption. The man's name is Steve Sarkeesian. Ten points in Philadelphia. The, 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 the man's name is Derek Dooley. Yeah. So the idea of oh, so and so is coming in. This is a turnkey operation because there's talent at every position. Oh my friend no no bill we've got a lot to discuss before i fall into a wormhole of angst um we have some <laughs> when aren't you <laughs> sorry no go ahead sorry you know, emo's right. my new brand all right it's fine i'm just gonna do my eyelashes right now or my eyeliner i'm sorry um you yes slash the rest of the staff you yes. built the list of the top 100 football games of the 2017 season we are unveiling it 30 at a time so by the time this podcast goes up, the first two installments, so that's what, 100 through 41? 40, yeah. Okay, we'll be up and live. We're going to plow through those in a second. Do you want to do questions now and knock those out? Because that's a lot of podcasts. Let's go. Let's go ahead and do the. I have the posts pulled up. I've watched the same uh, Miles Boykin catching run running these yeah, times. So that's let's go exactly ahead. what's okay. happening. Yep. All right. All right. Let's do. Let's do this. Yeah. We'll do the first batch real fast. Okay. So uh, 100 on the list. 
Notre Dame 21, LSU 17 in the Citrus Bowl. Um, I think it's perfectly encapsulated whose ever decision it was to do this. It's just just that one play because yeah. I watched this game with a with a pretty strong hangover, as I mentioned, and this was the only thing I remember from this game. Um, the rest of it was pretty forgettable. Yeah, LSU, LSU blew it. Notre Dame thought about blowing it. Then that catch, the end. Number 99, Southern Miss 31, UTSA 29. I'm pretty sure I watched this one on Facebook. I remember this was probably my first fa- live Facebook uh, you know, college football game experience. <laughs> um, it was a good one. I don't know how many people were actually watching, but it was actually a very, very good game. Um, really kind of broke the back for UTSA in terms of a conference title run and then also for Frank Wilson's hiring prospects. Yeah, no, serious. I mean, they, they were the best team in that conference in September. And uh, from the moment this game ended, it uh, just was not the same. Not only did Florida Atlanta come out of nowhere to just blaze through everybody in October, November, they were 3-0, and and then they went sp- like 3-5 and from there. Uh, December 24th, uh, Hawaii Bowl. Fresno State 33, Houston 27. I tell you guys every year to watch the Drunk Bowl because if your Christmas Eve is anything like mine, you need a little respite from the um, alcohol-fueled <laughs> relative interactions, and this is a perfect way to do it. So yeah. this is probably the best Hawaii Bowl we've had in a long time. Yeah, ju- uh, the, the block field goal return, and it kind of flipped around in the second half. It was just kind of tipsy. It was a tipsy game. It wasn't a, an amazing game, but you kind of there are a couple times when you thought, okay, I, now I know how this is going to go, and you were very wrong. A year removed from the Tom Herman era, I guarantee you someone in a decision-making circle at Houston looked at 27 points against Fresno State and said, let's hire a Bryles. Number 97, <laughs> Buffalo 31, Ohio 24. Now, this is a quintessential Bill C game for even even the job that I do. I was very much on assignment during this period of time, but had I not been, I don't know if I would have picked up on this one. So sell it in 10 seconds. <laughs> uh, first of all, there were three Buffalo games on this list. They had an eventful six and six year. Uh, no, Ohio was very good. Um, they were just cruising to the division title. They got upset by Akron. They fell asleep for a little while. They were down 24 seven in the first quarter to Buffalo. Uh, they just about came back uh, and then Buffalo picked off a pass uh, in or near the end zone. I can't remember uh, with about a minute left. So it was uh, back and forth buffalo secured their sixth win they got bowl eligibility and then didn't get a bowl bit september 30th the number 96 game everyone remembers this one troy 24 lsu 21 if you want to go back and pull something out lsu fans are still a bit grumpy about the officiating towards the end of the second (laughs) quarter as they were going into the half which allowed troy to kick a field goal that didn't seem as important at the time it was more demoralizing than anything else the fact that lsu was playing the way it was but mm, it ended up being the difference of the game yeah happens that's it yeah okay all right number 95 uh arizona state 37 oregon 35 you know what i remember about this game the fact that it's it it momentarily derailed what looked to be like everyone was prepping the oregon is back narrative myself included after i was totally guilty of it because i watched the nebraska game and i was like you know they're giving up massive chunks of yards to mike riley's offense uh but man they're back because they had successfully installed with a healthy running back and quarterback that system from south florida and they looked damn good this was the game that put the brakes on it a little bit and kind of showed that they still had to fix defensive issues yes yeah they went from having a miserable defense to a merely below average one and that was a nice step forward but uh it was still below average um nice runs though it was 31 14 then ducks went on a 21 3 run and then arizona state wins anyway so it was back and forth uh, number 94 is a game that I think most of us probably kind of saw on our phones as we were checking scores during the Saturday. And then you you run in and catch like the last two minutes. Right. Arkansas 39, Coastal Carolina 38. Um, you might as well flip the scores because this was I think this was the game that if it wasn't the final nail, it was maybe the penultimate nail in Brett Bielema's coffin. 
Yeah, that, that he won it meant he wasn't fired. Um, but it, it kind of confirmed that this team is just lacking. It wasn't, and it wasn't going to get anything back in, in November. So, um, you know, TJ Hammonds, they, I, I was really, I was kind of almost disappointed. Like he, they, they almost got creative in the way they used him this year, but never quite, I thought used him enough. He had a big run that kind of flipped the game around. They win with a couple minutes left and yeah, it was coastal. Number 93 and number 92 are combined here for a very good reason, and this is why you read Bill C, is because you understand context. Um, What everyone remembers about Pitt this year is that they were the first of three teams to take a lead pipe to Miami. But that doesn't sound as impressive now because we saw Miami sort of peter out at season against Wisconsin. But the Miami that played against Pitt was headed to the playoff in a big, bad way, right? Um, before Pitt got there, they lost two really tough games. So November 9th, they lost 34-31 to North Carolina. And November 18th, they lost 20-14 to to Virginia Tech. Uh, the Virginia Tech game is telling because Virginia Tech is sort of one of the Tiffany powers of that conference. But Pitt is not that far behind. They finished, what, 5-7 and seven this year? Yes. So this is a team that, like, if you're looking for that Phil Steele turnaround, whatever that weird stat he creates is, like, Pitt is your team in 2018. Um, I, I cannot commit to that until I look at the whole landscape, but it's possible. Yeah. They were, they were very young losing Kadri Henderson to the pros, uh, was kind of disappointing, but yeah. So they basically, the Miami game, we all know that it was weird even now in context, but then, yeah, they got their guts ripped out by North Carolina. They came back from double digits down in the fourth, uh, and then lost anyway. Then they get stopped at the goal line against Virginia tech. Uh, they start a freshman quarterback against Miami and then they win and they completely derail Miami's train. So weird season, but they're, they're talented. They, they do have a chance to have a nice bounce back. Uh, way down at number 91. I wrote about JT Barrett in a different Ohio State game that we'll get to later. Um, this is Ohio State 31, Michigan 20. I did not watch the game this year. Um, I saw the replay, but I guess Dwayne Haskins is the takeaway. Right. Um, you know, it was basically two, two, two at Tagovailoa uh, from the title game, except in uh, a rivalry game instead. Everybody, and I... Now, so there was a, a link on this is gonna this is a major sidetrack, uh, but there was a link on Roll Bama Roll this morning um, about how one of the reasons Brian Dable left uh, his offensive coordinator spot there for the Bills. Apparently, he was at least a little bit frustrated with um, basically Saban overruled him. He wanted to play Tua sooner, uh, but but uh, Saban kept Hertz in or like made the decision to keep Hertz in and and not split time or give Tua the job. However, that played out. The reason I'm bringing this up is that I I understand as a head coach, Jalen Hurts is a secure is a epic security blanket. He doesn't throw picks. He doesn't he he cut his fumbles way down. He's gonna throw the ball away immediately if there's danger. Um, when you've got a good defense, you know he's not going to screw your defense by throwing a pick and having the uh, the other team start at like your five yard line or whatever. Uh, so he is a he he is a he is security and he's also you know <laughs> potentially limited upside. Kind of felt that way at times with JT Barrett too. Um, he is a security blanket. He's gonna grind out third and threes he's not going to make well iowa game aside for all the befuddling things in that game he's not going to make two most of the time he's not going to make crippling mistakes he was very much urban meyer's security blanket he gets hurt dwayne haskin comes in and just torches michigan just absolutely like six for seven you're like oh man they're in trouble here they might not even win this game much less get in the playoff and then he just like glides through they scored on three or four possessions um 
Like, he, he looked good. And suddenly with Tua and with, with Haskins, you're like, yeah, all right, they're, they're going to be fine next year. Why did I think that we would get 60 of these in one podcast? I won't do that every time. I promise I won't Number do that 90 anymore. is Mississippi State 31, Louisville 27. Um, it, you know, Keaton Thompson comes in because of the uh, the injury to uh, Nick Fitzgerald in the Egg Bowl. Um, Lamar Jackson is supposed to be the story. Mississippi State ends up winning the game. Um, I, I guess that's it. Yeah, Thompson looked really good. Uh, when Fitzgerald graduates, uh, you know, our, our boy Joe Moorhead will have quite a lot to work with there. So that's all good. But it was disappointing that that was Lamar's last game. Number 25, uh, number 89 from November 25th, excuse me, a game I did not see. Uh, Duke 31, Wake Forest 23. Sell me on this real fast. Uh, Duke charged through November. They were like three and six. They lost six games in a row, still made a bowl game. And and this late charge, they had to come back to beat Wake, and then they beat A&M in the bowl game. Like We feel completely differently about Duke because of the way they finished, uh, and they were down 17-3 in this game. If they lose that game, they don't go to a bowl at all. So um, the, our, our percept, whether we should be basing our perceptions on two games or not, we kind of are, and uh, you know, this was a big game for that. Okay, there's a there's a bunch here, and this is an interesting conversation point. I'm not going to do the dates, just in the interest of brevity. But 88 through 84, ready? Texas Tech 52, Arizona State 45, Texas 40, K State 34, West Virginia 38, Baylor 36, K State 42, Texas Tech 35, and Okie State 49, Iowa State 42. So this is a quintessential example of what the Big 12 does well. And if you're if you live inside of that. If you're a fan of a team in the conference, you have a distinct memory of every one of these games. If you are a <laughs> critic or an outsider fan, of, uh, you know, someone who doesn't like the Big 12 or criticizes the style of football, it might as well be the same game to you. Um, right. This is what I've picked up in conversations with people where it's very fascinating when you go inside the conference, they have very distinct memories of it. I think this is where your Oklahoma background comes in handy because <laughs> you parse through what seems to be the same game being played over and over again if you have a set of SEC eyes as I do. Yeah, I almost put West Virginia Baylor up higher. That was probably the most memorable of this bunch simply because um, Baylor, it was 38-13 in the fourth quarter, and they came just roaring back out of nowhere. Um, but then they couldn't get a two-point conversion to tie and send it to overtime. But yeah, generally, this is like what Mike Gundy said when I went down to Stillwater for that uh, feature back in September, October. He's like, you know, you can come into this conference and you can think, I'm going to slow the game down. I'm going to play hard-nosed defense. I'm going to do something different. I'm going to Stanford it up basically um but you better be prepared to lose a bunch of 38 to 36 games because you're not slowing texas tech down you're just not uh you're not slowing oklahoma state down you're for a full full 60 minutes anyway they're gonna get their little uh one two combinations on you and they're gonna just uh it's gonna be really hard to there are some games on this list texas oklahoma states on this list that was like 13 10 texas oklahoma was like 29 24 there were some non-shootouts but it's really hard to avoid shootouts in the big 12 Hey, speaking of a non-shootout in the Big 12, you ready? Number yeah, 83 yeah, is. is Oklahoma State 13, Texas 10, and one of the worst. I don't know if it's so much a play call as it is just miscommunication as we, as we yeah, wrote it in the story. It had to have been miscommunication. Um, that, that Texas third down in overtime was pretty horrific. Um, I, you know, not so much a lasting effect here. Obviously, another good win for Oklahoma State and Austin, as they as they are wont to do. Um, but this, the shine was our well off of Texas by this point. This was just a weird game. I mean, Oklahoma state, 
scoring 13 points, needing overtime to score 13 points. It was just weird. And, um, and then it ends the way it did. This was not uh, the most high quality game of the year, but it was just, it was tense and, and weird and memorable. Um, a pair of Missouri games yeah. at 82 and 81. Missouri tried to big 12 it up sometimes. Hashtag bias. Uh, <laughs> Kentucky 40, Missouri 34. Uh, and then later in the year, Missouri 48, Arkansas 45. That game happened. Uh, very strange that Arkansas would score 45 points at that, at, at that state of their. De- and, de- and I know like that was, it was damn the tour. It was basically screw it. Let's, let's just go. And, and they, they, they found some weird things that worked for a little yeah, bit. Imagine um, if you would have done that earlier. <laughs> it's amazing what happens when it, you know you get out of your head a little bit. Uh, no, the the Kentucky Missouri game uh, was underrated in that number one, we didn't know that Missouri was maybe decent yet. They were like one and four at that point, um, but there were they scored on three touchdowns of fifty plus yards. Oh, Kentucky scored on two. Uh, Missouri almost comes back. Weird clock issue at the end where Kentucky defender slaps the ball out of Jamal Moore's hand and nobody sees it and the clock runs out. Uh, just kind of odd all the way around, but kind of breathless too. So, I mean, those were fun games. Those are the two close games Missouri played this year. Everything else was either a blowout win or a blowout loss. I'm going to put the next three together just to keep it going. We got Maction, Ohio 58, UMass 50. That was back in September 30th. Um, in September 16th, Toledo 54, Tulsa 51, and then October 26th, NIU 30, Eastern Michigan 27. Poor Eastern Michigan. They, that was um, that was around the point where I was commenting every week on here. How's Eastern Michigan going to figure out a way to lose a gut wrenching game this week? And then they, um, I believe, yeah, they were up fourteen points in the fourth quarter and and figured out a way to lose. That was just rough. Uh oh. It's AAC time, 77 through 74. <laughs> Memphis 30, Navy 27, Memphis 42, Houston 38, uh, USF 34, Tulane 28, and Navy 43, SMU 40. Um, I saw every one of these games. Uh, I'm trying to think what my lasting memory. The Memphis-Houston game was pure fun, just awesome to watch. Um, in terms of statements, it's weird. It means so little to people outside of the no, but that Memphis 30 Navy 27, that meant a lot at the time for that, for that Memphis coaching staff to have a win like that. And then five days later, they come out and lay an egg against Houston and win anyway. Yeah. Like when one of those two games back to back was really big, especially after they, got, they had gotten trounced by Having UCF. Having one so of the most talented a, teams in your conference five days after Navy. Right. You need to have a talk with Mike Oresco. <laughs> yeah, no, there were, it was barely five minutes into the second quarter. They were down 24-7. Um, but they, they figured out a way back. Navy SMU was crazy because not only was it 43-40, Navy was up like 20-something points. And Navy, who, you know, we can eat nine minutes off the clock at a time. You're not coming back on us. SMU came back on them. Um, and it, yeah, that, was a, that was a very nutty game. Uh, there's another AAC game at 73. UCF 31, SMU 24, I think all of us saw this in the same capacity too which was sort of oh 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 kind of tracking it on twitter and then it happened and then it didn't <laughs> yeah no it, that was ucf had been completely unchallenged by that point they went up at like double digits in the fourth in the third quarter uh and you kind of assume they're going to pull away and they never did so that was every team needs those tests and smu was clearly a team capable of, of trading blows for a while uh but ucf survived a uh, pair of upsets here from opening weekend. Liberty 48, Baylor 45, Howard 43, UNLV 40. Super fun. Glad this kind of stuff happens, obviously, but uh, it's definitely a statement regarding Baylor's situation more than it is anything Liberty did. Um, 
I don't know what you say about Howard. UNLV, yeah. that was to me. That's the worst lot, worser, lesser. <laughs> Yeah. Um, well, certainly. Um, I, I still roll my eyes at the whole biggest upset ever because of the spread. Because right. I still don't understand how UNLV was a forty-five point favorite over anybody. Just Who's giving you a line on that game anyway? You can find them if you search really, really hard. But you have to search hard, and I don't. I, I think it's ridiculous to count it as that. But, by the way, UNLV had one of the nuttiest seasons. Like, and I, I can't, this is one of those previews that I'm looking forward to writing just so I can kind of scrape through it. They almost were bowl eligible this year. They lost to Howard. They lost, they got destroyed by San Diego state. They got upset at air force. Uh, they lost to P they gave up 31 points to BYU, which shouldn't happen in two games. And they damn near went uh, six and six. They, they won at Fresno state. Um, they won at New Mexico, which is, you know, not amazing, but still like they had a legitimately decent offense. They were all over the freaking map this year. Uh, and you know, they, again, they beat Fresno state and lost to Howard. That's tough to do. We have four games from November 4th. I didn't see I, any of them, uh, which is weird because they were all really good <laughs> engaging shootouts. Um, but I, I'll just run through them and then talk about lasting effect. ULM 52, App State 45, K-State 42, Texas Tech 35, Virginia 40, Georgia Tech 36, and Ole Miss 37, Kentucky 34. I can tell you right away that that Ole Miss win helped Matt Luke get the job. It was a conference win on the road, regardless of the situation. And then ULM, um, very much a proof of concept moment for that staff. Like, we can do this. Good, Good moment of reassurance. Yeah, there are 12 November 4th games on this list. Like that, that kind of blew me away. I didn't really that realize was the it, secret that was best Saturday. That's really that was, weird. Yeah, this wasn't um, like earlier in, in October is when we had our big upset weekend that, that scrambled everything. And I was saying at the end of the year that we needed, we needed one more of those for to, to have truly had a nutty season that we remember for a long time. We didn't yeah. get it, but on November 4th, it was just great football everywhere. You looked, you have those games yet. Well, again, we'll talk about more, but coastal Arkansas was on that day. Um, huh. What else was on that day? UCF SMU was on that day. Well, the, and that's normally I can tell you, like without even looking, that's that's LSU Bama, isn't it? Uh, or was that the next? I week? believe so. Let's see. Yeah, it's see like that November four. It just sucks the life out of everything else. <laughs> you get so hyped, and then it's always yeah, like here, yeah. paint drying this game. Yeah. Um, all right. Uh, November eleventh, a week later, UCLA forty four, Arizona State thirty seven. Um, I can give you absolutely nothing on the lasting effect of this game. Well, no, no lasting effects. Yeah. Josh, Ro- Josh Rosen highlight clips for the draft. Yeah, pretty that? much. Um, he, yeah, no, they, they had a little comeback going. Uh, they fell behind early. Was, they had a couple shootouts. They had a shootout against Arizona state and a shootout against Cal that kind of gave some, some last Josh Rosen impressions before he got hurt uh, against UC- USC, I guess. October 14th, I'm sorry, number 65, October 14th, West Virginia 46, uh, Texas Tech 35. This is like one of those games where you remember the Dana Holgerson magic of like (laughs) back in the day Um, because Will Greer was a freaking beast in this game late. Uh, Four touchdowns in 17 minutes. I remember this game. It was fun. Yeah, no, they were down 18 points midway through the third quarter and they won by 11. That's nuts. September 23rd. 64, by the way. Texas A&M, 50. Arkansas, 43. And then uh, September 23rd as well. Florida, 28. Kentucky, 27. Uh, if there's a theme here, it's what? that uh, The more things change, the more they don't. Well, yeah, kind of. Uh, it was also just that it, the SEC had a pair of nutty games that I had ranked very closely together, so I just put them 
there. This, of course, was the game where Kentucky elected not to cover uh, a Florida receiver with under a minute left. Who was it? Freddie Swain. Um, and he happened to be wide open against a 10-man defense, and, and they scored the game-winning points. Uh, bad. I just look at the 31, the, obviously the 31-year streak for the Kentucky-Florida game, and then the fact that Arkansas has not beaten A&M since they came to the SEC. Yeah, and and like a lot of those games have been super back and forth too. It was it's kind of a it's been kind of a rite of passage. Late September, that must mean A and M is barely eking by Arkansas. Yeah, absolutely. Um, maybe it's something to do with playing it in Dallas. I don't know. The game's always good, always good to watch. Yeah, no, and I mean it doesn't sound like if it's not fifty fifty, it's pretty close to it. Arkansas, a lot, you know, obviously they have a lot of people in Dallas, so I mean it's a it's a nice neutral site game. I know you want it on campus, but it's it's a it seems like a very fun environment, and the games are usually pretty good. So you know, Jerry World is pretty antiseptic, but I get it. Um, that's about as nice as I'll be. Um, September 30th, Oklahoma state 41, Texas tech 34. Um, I can't say this stands out other than we just kind of knew that Oklahoma state was building at that point. Yeah. They threw OSU threw a pick six early. Basically they just lost to Texas. Um, this was, this was when I was, I mean, not Texas TCU. I was down there around this time. They were getting ready to go to Lubbock. I'm down there for a feature, and they lose to TCU. And I'm thinking, oh, my God, they can't. We can't take the shine off this damn feature with them losing two in a row and, and whatnot. Yeah. They thought about it. Like Mason Rudolph throws a pick six early. It really, they should have been up about four touchdowns, but they weren't. And then suddenly it was tied in the fourth quarter. Um, and they missed an 18-yard field goal, which, first of all, shame on you, Mike Gundy. You are more conservative than uh, your reputation, and you do some very maddening things on fourth and one sometimes but regardless they get another chance rudolph scramble uh gets a little uh i don't think it was an, a bootleg it was more of a scramble he scores with about a minute left and they win anyway uh they they tried to give this away like eight different times and then pulled it off anyway you know it was a good year though because at number 61 is an arkansas Ole miss game and for an arkansas Ole miss game of course would make the list <laughs> like legally has to right but the fact that it's all the way down at 61 is pretty impressive. Um, if you didn't watch this one, Ole Miss led 31 to seven. They lost the game. Yeah. That's a, and that it was kind of blase compared to Arkansas Ole Miss games of yore. Well, it was, I don't remember if it was Red Cup Rebellion or what, somebody else. One of the Ole Miss fans that I follow basically with about 10 minutes left basically said, LOL, this is going to be 38, 37 Arkansas. Um, yeah. And it and was, it was. <laughs> and it was, you could just see it coming. Uh, September number 60, September 23rd. Here's your second Buffalo game. Yeah. Uh, Buffalo, check this score out. Yeah. Buffalo 34, Florida Atlantic 31. This happened. And this, this is was, the difference between playing football games in September. And <laughs> this was the last game that Lane Kiffin has lost at, at uh, FAU. They turned it around after this, but this was just, uh, uh, you know, nobody scored only once. Buffalo was, you know, 14-0 run, and then FAU on a 17-0 run. Um Buffalo, well, just pulled it off. They were the the uh, the basically the last ones to score, I believe. Um, no, 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 no. That's right. I'm, now I'm reading my own damn write up on it. They stuffed Singletary, um, I, I, which nobody stuffs Devin Singletary, but they did, and they pull off thirty four thirty four one upset. Buffalo, like UNLV, had a really nutty year and did reach six and six, and and it's a shame they didn't get to a bowl off of it. Number 59, uh, the Pac-12 championship, USC 31, Stanford 38. This is a great game. I really enjoyed watching it. Obviously, the uh, you wrote a little bit here. I assume it was you wrote yes. a little bit about the gamble that David Shaw took down 24-21. They go for it. They don't get it. USC drives the field. Uh, it was pretty brutal. But, um, I mean, you make that decision. 
Right. No, the I, odds I are very. That. I mean, I make that decision too. Like everyone makes that decision. No, the odds are very much in your favor because if you get stuffed, and when you're Stanford, you shouldn't be getting stuffed on fourth and one. But I think they read the same play on third and fourth down, and it didn't work either time. Um, but your odds are very good of scoring, and if you don't score, they're at the one. You're still the more likely team to score next. So at that situation, I mean, if it's one minute left and you're down three, then sure, maybe you kick the field goal to, to send it to overtime. Although you still got really good odds of scoring. Mm-hmm. Um, but regardless, like you, the, it played out exactly how the odds aren't supposed to go. That got stuffed. And then USC barely didn't even need 10 plays to go 99 yards and put the game away. Stanford scores again at the end, but they just can't get the ball back. What is it? Onside kick, I think. Number 58, super fun game to watch. September 16th, Memphis 48, UCLA 45. I flirted with going to this game for a second. Um, I'm kind of mad I didn't. It played out like we thought. It was going to be a shootout. Um, Gosh, I'm trying to remember. No, it was a different Memphis game. um, This was, you know, this was the thing that put Mike Norvell on a lot of people's lists momentarily. This was the thing that this was the Memphis win that he needed that did not have anything to do with the Fuente era. And he got it. Yeah. But this really started a conversation on the Mora thing or not. Cause it's pretty early on at that point. UCLA started the season with games that were 45, 44, 56, 23, 48, 45 and 58, 34. There were only two and two in those games, but they were like, this was uh, well, a and who was their second game. Hawaii, they beat 56-23. Then they lose at Memphis. Then they lose 58-34 at Stanford. Um, And then then they calm down. Then they come back, and it's like 27-23 against Colorado, et cetera. Um, But, yeah, they were – September was wild for for UCLA, good and bad. Number 57, uh, Army 28, Eastern Michigan 27. Um, You can probably do the EMU perspective. This is just a game that Army would lose the last two or three years under Munkin, and they didn't. Um, to super simplify it, it's just this was this was the type of swing game, like you know the the one to three point losses that littered Army schedule for yeah. a while. This was they 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 found out how to win those games. God bless Chris Creighton because they had, so this was they EMU had beaten Rutgers at the buzzer and then they lost by seven to a good Ohio, by four to Kentucky, by five to a good Toledo. They get they go at Army. They have a chance to win at the end, and they're like, no, screw it. We're not going to overtime. We're not doing anything. We're winning it right here, and they couldn't convert the two point conversion. Remember this game from Labor Day weekend, South Carolina 35, NC State 28. I don't. Um, Debo Samuel. Debo. Right? That's yep. it. Long touchdown catch, long kick return touchdown. They got out gained by 250 yards and one, which is a very, very Will Muschamp thing to do. Uh, they got out gained the next week by Missouri 2 and won by 18. So, um, And then they lose Debo and kind of redefine their year. I saw a headline the other day that basically they're they're spinning that. They're basically saying they figured out some things without Debo. Now they get Debo back. Look out in 2018. Maybe. I can kind of buy that, but I'm not sure. Uh, I need to see see more, well, offense. The end. Washington 33, Utah 30. That's from November 28th. Um, Back-to-back really, really fun Washington-Utah games, by the way. I don't remember a lot about this game. Big Gaskin run. Um, Utah, they had a chance to go up late, but they uh, had to punt. And then Browning completes a couple passes, and they went at the buzzer. Number 54, October 14th, LSU 27, Auburn 23. Um, I, I mean, I can tell you this for a fact. They were down – LSU was down 20 to nothing. Um, yep. This game saved Ed Orgeron's job. 
which is insane to say, but this is the world we live in. There's and a the conversation. The narrative is emanating from Auburn at that point, too. It was pretty right? crazy. And like a month and a half later, they're almost in the playoff. Any outcome of that game that day, I would have said there's no way both coaches involved survive the year. <laughs> strange, strange stuff. No, there's a conversation that starts and doesn't stop if they get walloped by Auburn, which is what you know, it's what it looked like. Uh, October 21st, we're at 53, by the way. Louisville 31, uh, Florida State 28. Wasn't the game we thought it would be, but nope. uh, still a game. No, Louisville turned their season around around that time. They were really that that defense was bad, and it never it never became particularly good. But um, they that was right after yeah that was right after they lost to BC. Um, you know they lost to NC State pretty easily. They got walloped by Clemson in a big game in what was supposed to be a big game in September. And they were kind of they were just floundering. They were four and three. They did lose to at Wake the next week anyway. But they figured out they kind of studied themselves at Florida State. Lost to Wake. Won their last three. Uh, really disappointed. Like I, I still don't understand that DC hire that he made. And, and and but whatever they won this game. October fourteenth, number fifty two, Miami twenty five, Georgia Tech twenty four. Uh, kind of a, a bump on the road. Sometimes Georgia Tech provides that to insanely good, talented teams. Um, but this was this was like the the starting to peak Miami that barely scraped out of this game. Right, that was right after Florida State, wasn't it? I think. Um... I don't know if it was before or after. It was, you know, it was, it was right after. So they get, uh, they crush Toledo and Duke. They get, they finally beat Florida State in a game we'll talk about later on the countdown. Yeah, yeah. Uh, the actual Hurricanes screwed up the schedule. Like it's hard for me to remember some of the Florida and, teams. And then they beat. As soon as they beat Florida State, we're like, all right, they got that monkey off their back. And then they try to lose three straight games. They they limped by Georgia Tech. They got a really a big like they botched an onside kick. They got a humongous pass to Langham there right at the very end, so they can save themselves with a field goal then they try to lose to Syracuse then they try to lose to North Carolina then they crush Virginia Tech and Notre Dame and then they go back to trying to lo- it was such a weird year for Miami um number 51 I hate that this game was so good because it reinforces these pointless New Year's Six Bowls as being something other than you know meaning more or not you know it's a consolation prize just to expand the damn playoff uh, but this was a really good game outside of the political spectrum Penn State 35 Washington 28 yeah, just a high-quality game. I mean, this wasn't like, yes, Washington had the ball with a chance. Yes, they got that flea flicker that looked like it was going to work for a half second and all that. But yeah. still, it didn't really – Penn State was in control of this game. They were up 28-7. Washington did, did, just did a nice job of responding. Uh, but it was just high-quality. Lots of big plays. Gaskin is, uh, uh, you know, kind of pinned in for most of the game. He rips off a big touchdown in the second half. Saquon, we get one final 90-yard bomb from him. Um, there's a of triple. all the matchups – like of all those matchups, this was the one where we like, we were excited about it beforehand. We, we hyped this game up. All of the things that you listed to hype this game up happened. So you yeah. got like perfect return on investment with these. Yeah. Two you teams. got star, you got star, at least one star play from all the stars. Yeah, absolutely. Um, number 50, October 14th, uh, red river, Oklahoma, 29, Texas, 24. Um, man, I don't remember much from red river except like the last couple minutes. Um, by the like, end of this, by the end of this season, we, we kind of had this OU was inevitable vibe. Yeah. In October, they were in. They, they very much were not. 
Yeah, they really they blew it against Iowa State. They tried to blow, they thought about blowing it against Texas and Kansas State. They were really trying to to find themselves to a certain degree, but you know, Texas takes a weird lead late. I mean, it felt like OU was in control of this game. Suddenly Texas is up. Uh, then a big pass to uh, Mark Andrews. They make a couple stops, I believe, down the stretch. Um, tense, weird, and they survived. Number 49, you have the national championship, uh, UCF 34, Auburn 27. Um, uh, I don't know what the, what else there is to say. Perfect season. Go Auburn, Knights. Like that, that, that was such a, a, a fun game. Auburn looks completely in control physically early. And then suddenly they're down, um, at halftime. Then they come back and they take control in the third quarter. And then UCF says, nah, and, and scores a couple times, gets the pick six, makes the stop at the end on the throwaway interception. That was kind of like Texas, Oklahoma state. Um, just a really fun game. It's funny because like, if I can step outside of my own meme, um, I didn't watch it live. I was watching other bowl games. And then when I did watch it, what actually convinced me of this whole, you know, could they, should they conversation, whatever they looked physically to be the same in a lot of positions. They were out. They, they looked outmanned offensively against Auburn's defense, which I mean, a lot of people, a lot of teams do, um, but they but figured they, out ways around it. They scraped by, they survived. They, st- they, they, again, they were ahead at halftime. But uh, physically, they, like, like physically, they had, they had defensive advantages right. in certain right. spots. Physically like, what on, the hell? Yeah, physically on defense, they absolutely had advantages. But but where I was going was that they looked outmanned offensively, and then they figured out ways around it, and they scored anyway. Um, it was just a really nice, resourceful game. And, yeah, they controlled. They they harassed Jarrett Stidham, and, and any advantage Auburn found was brief. In the most reductive terms possible, we talk about the eye test, and, like, when, you, when them boys walk out of the locker room and they look right. a different way, right? UCF look like an SEC team physically yeah. in, in a lot of positions. Um, all right, we got another bunch starting yes. at 48. This is a fun one. 45. Okay, this so is this a context. Span- this is a context bunch. Okay, because it spans the season. You have a September 2nd game and a December 27th game. And, yes. um, well, I'll just read them off. You ready? <laughs> Louisville 35, yeah. Purdue 28. That was back from opening weekend. October 7th, Arizona 45, Colorado 42. October 21st, Arizona 45, Cal 44, and then the bowl game, uh, the best bowl game. That was the one we had dog-eared. Purdue 38, Arizona 35. All right, explain. No, this was basically, uh, this was a context uh, situation. At the beginning of the season, we knew, no, no, like, that Louisville and Purdue were close seemed very strange. Um, cause we knew nothing of what Purdue was going to become on October 7th. We knew nothing of what Arizona was about to become with Khalil Tate. That was his first big explosion game. Um, and then the end of the year, they played each other and it was awesome. Like we expected. So, uh, our expectations just shift so dramatically from September to December. Well, these are, are there two programs in the country that we thought would be that we had a bad read on as, as much as these two. Well, Florida State, I guess, but uh, well, yeah, I don't know. Injury explains so much there. It yeah. really does. Like we looked at these two teams at the beginning of the season. We said Jeff Brom could do great things. It's going to take him a while. We looked right, at not Arizona. We looked at Arizona and we said Rich Rod's going to be looking for a new job. We right. were right, but we didn't know why. So, <laughs> right. We um, ended up right accidentally. And not only that, those two teams became so entertaining. It's not just they yeah. were good; they were entertaining. Yeah. Uh, number forty-four. On November 18th, again, for the third time in one calendar year, North Texas played Army. This time they won 52-49. <laughs> to 49. Uh, North Texas is very tired of playing Army. 
Uh, I would assume Army's relatively tired of playing North Texas too at the end of the day. Yeah, Army rushed for 500 plus yards and lost. I, I looked up on on uh, College Football Reference. That was um, what only two other times, or yeah, only two times since 2000 has somebody rushed for more yards in a loss than Army did. They rushed for 535 yards and lost. Number 43, September 9th, Washington State 47, Boise State 44. Back the game 12 after no- dark. Game that knocks Boise out of the national conversation for the year. Then they quietly come back, have do- double-digit wins as they do. Um, this was the fun game that we got to look at Washington State and say, okay, cool, like the roller coaster is – it may not be rebuilt, but it's like legally safe enough to ride. <laughs> Yeah, the, Boise, I, I admittedly, I mean, this is, I'm always looking for a reason to go to bed at this point. I gave up on this game when Boise went up 31-10 in the fourth quarter, and I think I was justified to do it because they were up 31-10 in the fourth quarter. Uh, and then Washington wins in, or Washington State wins in overtime. Uh, number 42, I'm not pandering to our large base of fans from this one particular school, but it has become a trend that it is painfully heartbreaking to watch Wisconsin play in a Big Ten championship because, <laughs> God, they come close yeah. every year. Uh, Ohio State 27, Wisconsin 21. Every year they come so close. Yeah. Just, um, just think a, about you, you lose context with them in the offseason. Like they, they're just a step away from the playoff every year. Yeah, as a as a one of our listeners, as a, a friend of mine, I uh, interact with on Twitter, Wisconsin fan. Um, he pointed out that not only does Wisconsin lose in Indianapolis seemingly every single year and by seven points uh, in in increasingly frustrating fashion, uh, Wisconsin lost to Duke in the national title game in basketball in Indianapolis in 2015. So really, don't go I, to Indiana. I, I think what we're hearing is we need is is for the sake of Wisconsin fans, we need to probably think about think about moving the Big Ten title game from Indianapolis. Go put it in Chicago. The last game on this list is a <clears> bit <throat> of a smelly fart. So I'm going to read your last line on this. Did you write this? Yes, yes. Okay. I stand by it too. The last line on this entry says, This is a hell of a young rivalry. No, now obviously this show is not interactive. There's no way in hell, even if I held this for next week and we didn't publish number 41 and we turned this into a contest, that anyone would guess the two teams that you're talking about when you say um, that this is a hell of a young rivalry because it involves two teams, one of which joined a conference and now they've played each other, what, six, seven, seven 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 times. Yeah, sorry, seven times. Explain why Northwestern 31, Nebraska 24, explain why that is the rivalry uh, to watch in the big 28-25 Northwestern in 2011. 29-28 Nebraska in 2012. I believe that was a Hail Mary. 27-24 Nebraska in 2013. Uh, 30-28 Northwestern in 2015. This like Five of these seven games have been on the top 100 games of the year list. It's just every almost every single year. Two of the seven haven't been particularly close or interesting. Uh, but this one was, you know, we had a Hail Mary game in there. This one went to overtime. Um, it, it was just a fun game. And it is almost every single year with the series. And, and you know, I mean, say what you want about, you know, is that a referendum on Nebraska? They're not a power. Da, 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 da. It's a good game every single year. So that makes it a hell of a young rivalry to me. All right. Okay. It's a weird way to end it. Uh, Let's do some questions and get out of here. I will not stand for any other argument there. (laughs) We'll be back next week with um, 40 through one. Um, We play. I'm really proud of you. I'm really proud of you.
Oh yeah. You like I I didn't have to like I always laugh because I always have to clip Bill and like push him and push him when we do because we started doing the S and P Plus the uh, recap show two years ago, and the first one was like oh man it's gonna be really hard. You like you've gotten so good at delivering an insane amount of information in a shorter and shorter like eventually where did this whole show is gonna be a tweet. I talk I talk uh, fast. I talk very God fast. Forbid, God forbid we do that by the way. Um, all right. Uh, you've got, I have one question in my email. You said you had multiple questions in your email. Uh, yeah. Let's start with, uh, you, this is the one from earlier today, right? Yes. Okay. You go ahead with that one. I'll, I'll start digging up a couple more. Okay. I think I only have one. Let's see. Yeah. I guess you guys are too good to email me. No, no, there's another one with you on it, but I'll, I'll read it. Go for it. Nathan Eberhardt says, Godfrey has mentioned before offhand that there's a difference between Coaching culture out West and the rest of the country. This sounds fascinating to me. I was wondering, given the occasion of an AFCA, could you suss that out a bit more? Is it personnel related as in coaches from the West tend to stay there and there's not much cross pollinization with the rest of the country as in do coaches tend to be siloed in either the West or the East? Is it uh, just a resource culture thing that affects levels of pressure on a coach while they're at their job, but doesn't impact their ability or likelihood to get different jobs? Are both Western and Eastern coaches plugged into the same gossip networks that you said are rampant? And then more broadly, how real is the cultural gap between West Coast coaching, yeah. coaching culture and the rest of the country? It's like a tongue twister. What has caused that gap? Is it growing or shrinking uh, or stable? How does that gap impact the broader landscape of the sport? There's like 25 questions. <laughs> um, all of your bullet points are, are, are heading in the right direction. Um, it, so it's hard to say it, it's just this one thing. It was born out of exactly what you would expect years ago before the digital age and the fact that, yeah, everything was more provincial back then. Everything was more siloed back then. Um, the reason why we laugh at it now in the digital age in which you can see a coach, you know, immediately leave from the deep South to go to the Northeast or the Midwest and, and or Texas or whatever, like, I think you don't see as much transition between the West coast schools into maybe the Southeastern conference or the big twin. Um, there is a different cultural temperature in the high school ranks there there's also a networking issue out there because you sort of start in la and work your way outward um certain places are decidedly far flung right so some people don't want to go out and spend three or four years in like you know corvallis it just that's you know right there's no way to argue that or or if you're a mid-major guy and you have the chance to be on a staff at like a mac school or a sunbelt school where you're drivable to a lot of things, or you go to Utah State, that's that, you know that's a consideration. There are less human beings out there, so recruiting's <laughs> harder. Um, it's sort of all of those things. I want to give Nathan a good answer here. Um, is it personnel related, as in coaches from the West tend to stay there? A lot of coaches I know that are on the West Coast are inherently West Coast guys. I think LA people are LA people. I think West Coast people are West Coast people. But Southerners and Midwesterners are very much the same thing. I mean, I just right. I think about Joe Moorhead, who is the most Pittsburgh human being I know, <laughs> is signed up to you know ideally for him probably spend at least four, probably you know max five years in Starkville, Mississippi. The job go you know the job is going to take you strange places, right? Um, so it's yeah, but not. Then he says, is it a resource culture thing? Uh, it used to be a resource thing, definitely. Not so much anymore when the Pac-12 caught up and spent a bunch of money. Um, and then are both Western and Eastern coaches plugged into the same gossip networks? 
kind of yeah that that has some truth to it but now the way the agents are structuring things it's different so it's hard to keep a secret about something going on in college football because of geography um i think the so so here's what i would say we touched on this earlier when i was making the joke about marcel yates i think it's cultural expectation um Kevin Sumlin's just not going to encounter um, profanity alert if you're driving with kids. The bullshit that you get at Texas A&M, for better right. or worse, and Alabama and Florida and Ole Miss and Ohio State and all those places, you know, and like they're not. There's not a pressure at Arizona comparative to. Let's just. I don't know. I'm pulling this out of my my ass, but like, are they the eighth best program in the Pac-12? Is, is that is that okay? Is that work? Sure. Maybe. Yeah. Okay show me the eighth best program in the big 10 of the sec. That's why I mentioned like Ole Miss or Mississippi state, or I don't know, a big 10 West school. Like you're going to have weirdness and more pressure in the lawn burners and the crazy stuff that you are going to have at Arizona. So that's a culture thing for sure. Right. Yeah. That's um, when you talk about culture, that's where I always think you're going with it is the, it is, yeah, the, it is yeah, the pressure. Yeah. Like there's yeah. obviously there are stupid angry boosters in every school in America. Um, we know, we know from you know SB, certain espionation sites that there are certainly a number of angry UCLA fans in the world. Oh yeah, um, they we, all work for us. <laughs> I did, did not not, not do, oh, okay. um, but just generally, like, I think it's just a volume thing. There is just not quite as much of it, and and the Marcel Yates, Yates thing might be a really good example because yeah, he he has not done a damn thing as as Arizona defensive coordinator the last two years. Maybe he will again. I want to emphasize it's only been two years, but um, you know the, the the DC of the number one hundred fifteen defense in the country getting head coach. Uh, hype from his players like that, you know, that's not going to happen anywhere else. And it's just the, yeah, I think it's, it's just the volume. There is a trope here. There's definitely a trope. And that trope is coach from the East or the South goes out West immediately starts telling the press how great it is here. My wife can go to the grocery store. can go out to eat, play golf. Right. Right. Everyone says that. Oh my God. It's just so laid back here. People are so friendly. The weather's great. Right. Two years later, it's all the private conversations off the record where they say, I'm just not getting enough support here. Right. What that is, is I think it's a recalibration of a lot of these individuals' egos and the fact that they go out to <laughs> the place. Guess what? They're not going to throw flaming ba- bags of crap on your yard, but they're also not going to care, and they're not going to show up for the, for the you know, $500 a plate uh, a booster luncheon in March because <laughs> they have lives and they go to the beach and because the weather's great. And yeah, they don't, don't like, have to, they don't live and die by football. Yeah. So it's funny to watch that. I've, I've now been in the business long enough <laughs> to see that happen firsthand a couple of times and it makes me laugh. Um, uh, okay. Uh, yeah, so here's another one. Our friend Brett Larder a few days ago, um, he said, one thing I'd be interested in hearing on a future PAPN episode is whether or not you believe schools should be allowed to offer football, capital F football as a major, uh, with a select group of kids allowed to enroll. They would have to take gen eds like any other major, but it might make sense. It would be cool, especially if you two disagreed and had an actual debate since you generally both agree on everything during the episodes. I'll remember that. I'll disagree. I'll take the opposite. I'll take the opposite side of whatever Godfrey's about to say. Uh, so the pros to 
to the football major. It allows for more time to study film in class. <laughs> it allows students to be taught to be coaches in addition to players, uh, so longer careers. It, it is honest about where the students plan on making their money in their career. Schools uh, already uh, allow students to major in things which will not get them jobs in their field, like music performance at anything but an elite conservatory, for example. Uh, so any argument predicated on, quote, 99% of athletes go pro in something other than sports should be irrelevant. Cons uh, could grow the rift between P5 and G5, and students get an unrealistic really? view of their what their future should be like. Uh, so I'm going to, no, majoring uh, in football, no. But majoring in coaching is something that we've talked about um, at, at SBN a couple times. I've attempted to write about it a little bit, and I haven't gotten far enough down the road yet. Uh, I think it's West Virginia has, has a coaching major, and I think that's phenomenal um, because – uh, you know, among other things, a lot of current athletes, student athletes are going to end up coaches. And this will, you know, w- if you have a major for it, number one, it allows you to kind of bake in certain uh, a- elements of health management uh, that will become more and more important if you want football to exist 20 or 30 years from now. Um, and, and it certainly, it allows you to get more structure in what will probably be a future coaching career if you're a, a football coach, but it's not just football. It's the same with a lot of other sports. You're just going to end up plugging right back into that sport later on. Uh, the coaching major allows you to control that and builds a, a certain pragmatism into the bake it into the cake a little bit and i really like that idea majoring in football nah but majoring in coaching yes now now you have to disagree do we really agree too much yeah not a hundred percent of the time but you know we're smart we're not yeah we're not (laughs) we're we're not programmed to to take one side and the other just for you i mean that's a common that's a combination of us being united in a couple incredibly basic fundamental tenets about how we think this sport should be played and treated Mm -hmm. and also the fact that i usually just cheat off bill's paper anyway when it comes to this i've accepted um, it's fine um yeah i mean we agree because we believe i think strongly in a couple key fronts that there's really only one way to do things since most of those things aren't being done right now but um yeah major in coaching if you want don't i I say don't establish the farce of of majoring in football because then you actually have to go through the accreditation system on that and like people like in the big 10 will just oh god i don't i just don't want to hear about it um (laughs) what i would what i would advocate for is some sort of contract where you just don't go and do the 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 fake classes um communications and all that sort of yeah yeah, i was a i was a comp major shut up I mean, I was a journalism major at Ole Miss. It's not like I'm casting stones, bro. Um, literally got kicked out of the University of Mississippi twice for grades, by the way. Um, so instead of doing that, why not establish um, a longer track with a guaranteed tail on it? And what I mean by that is, I don't know if it's like, let's say it's an 18-hour minimum at a particular school in the Power Five. Like, cut that down to 12, cut that down to 10 have them take actual legitimate classes on a lighter load and then create a system in which they have a decade to come and finish their degree. Um, that is again at cost to the university and not the individual. Um, and, and do it that way. And that way, if you want to come back and have a substantive academic experience that that's available for you paid for by the university who you, you know, essentially made millions for, it's amazing, as I say this, Bill, how much that would undercut a lot of my arguments for paying players. But whatever. yeah, that's that's well, yeah. I mean, there's if you actually I, let them go to college for free and not play football, 
I would withdraw probably 70% of my argument. Uh, and I know some schools will certainly help in that regard, but it's not uh, a mandatory kind of thing for sure. Um, no, I, and that's, you know, to a larger point that I think I was talking about last week too, you know, the whole player compensation thing, what drives me crazy. It's like a political thing. I won't mention examples in that regard because I, I don't want to, but um, it's one of those things where we cannot agree we should have been we should have agreed on the premise decades ago and we should have been for, like very far down the road in addressing it but we're still arguing for 60 years we've been arguing the premise when the premise is stupid now and of course i'm talking about you know student athletes and amateurism yeah. and and the definition we established for that 60 years ago uh, we, there are so many things we could do to to address that and 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 address what we consider to be a student athlete or what benefits they get and if we do that if we let them sign autographs at the the mall and make a certain amount of money, even if we put a cap on that, which I don't really like, but sure, let's, let's start with a capped amount that you can make off that little things like that. And, and the way the education that they're actually getting, there are so many things you could do for student athletes to where, even if we don't just say the university themselves should put them on the payroll and, and start paying them, you know, out of the university pocket, there are so many other things we could be doing, but we're not even discussing that. We still have to have the same stupid arguments that we were having 20 years ago and 40 years ago uh, as, as defensive coordinators are now getting paid $2 million a year in the SEC. Sorry, no, I, I got completely lost in thought thinking about some new ideas, but I'm not, I don't want to share them here. They may turn into content. <laughs> so, uh, Sorry, in, podcast in, listener. Seriously, that was a big tease there. Uh, we'll, we'll finish on this note just so we can get back on the pure hashtag brand of PAPN. Uh, got an email. This one was just to me five days ago. Our friend Tom. A-hole. Subject line, and this is it's incredible that he didn't include you on this one. Subject line, Georgia Southern PAP in question. That son of a bitch. Keep going. I don't know for sure if you take these emails all the time or if this is the wrong time, but I wanted to send this while it's still on my mind. Oh, yeah, it's I'm late January. Sure. It's the right it's time. A, it's a moving target where like, hey, go to Twitter or hey, go to our comments thread or hey, send an email. Um, regardless. It's it late January right, right now. We're going to take right. your question. As soon as a soon-to-be Georgia Southern graduate, I have seen the program fall from some belt champions in the first FBS year to a 2-10 and afterthought during my four years at Statesboro. Uh, yeah, I kind of had a similar path. In the two, two years of we're on the rise, we've turned a corner, and then 4-7. and seven Can you show me another four-year span in which an undergraduate right now would have come in at the heights they were to the total ass that they are? <laughs> I'm sure probably, but it's not, it's, it's rare. Auburn has probably done it like 38 times. Baylor. Um, my question is, do you believe the program's future is closer to the 18 and seven run of 2014, 15 with a conference title and a bowl win or seven and 17 of the last two years? Also, is this program's insistence on option football and being led by a South by South Georgia natives with ties to the university? Is that a bigger asset or a burden to the program? Is the marketing and fan loyalty benefit of option U uh, and hiring coaches the fans relate to offset by passing on interested and qualified candidates to insist on a certain on hiring a certain kind of coach? While Lunsford did a good job of hiring coaches that didn't necessarily have previous ties to the area or program, I still can't help but think we could have made a better hire for the future in terms of on-field success. This young man is smart. I wonder where he's from. If you if you go to Georgia Southern, you're almost certainly from Georgia or North Florida. <laughs> Just curious. The young man is very smart. Every So every latter half option he gives is the correct answer. So do I think it's going to be the 17 and whatever or the 6 and whatever? It's going to be the, it's going to be the crappier option right now. They have not been able to 
they have not been able to establish a decision making decision making matrix um, inside that university since they transitioned to the FBS level. They've also not been able to keep um, over vocal influences around the program who want FBS success, FCS cost, and FCS access from overwhelming some things that need to happen. Some there, there needs to be a professionalizing of Georgia Southern as you make this total transition. Um, and I, I think that was one of the things that made Willie Fritz leave. Um, they should yeah, kind of trying to think like on the Lunsford tip. Yeah. It wasn't a really overwhelming hire. It's also not a bad hire. Um, it's, he's got a lot of work to do, but uh, man, our, what's his name? Tom. For not emailing yeah. Tom, I think your question sucks, but it's actually incredibly like you, you you're on the right path. There needs to be a there needs to be a cleaning there that, that it may not happen because it's such an it's such a exclusive culture. They're so tight and they're so weird out there. I know because I grew up in it. Um, they've got to have a reckoning, and I think two or three more years of playing football like this, that they're they're gonna have to start asking some hard questions. Yeah, I think. You know, so many schools strive for a, an identity as strong as what Georgia Southern has created, and oh, they that alone for so many baby right. fives. And and so, I mean, that alone means it, it can be a great thing. Um, what I think we've seen is that it's hard to maintain. And so, I mean, your answer, like you know, is it you know nine wins and and conference titles versus two wins? I, I you know the easy answer would be it's in the middle. I think it's kind of both. I think what you when you when you have that identity uh, and it can become so toxic so easily where you know everybody in that booster base um like it's really easy to fall back on like uh I know what's best for this program. And so not only do you not have some extremely enormous booster base uh but the boosters there I think you know it can get kind of toxic a little bit when things aren't working just right. And, and so I think you're just going to see a lot of swings back and forth. There's going to be a, a, some, some beautiful option football in Georgia Southern's future, uh, but it's going to be a really hard thing to maintain if you don't have that kind of financial stability and you're having to rehire. Honestly, I mean, I, I just lean into it as far as humanly possible. Lose one option coach, go find the next one. Don't mess with the formula because it seems like really bad things happen uh, when you mess with it. Even though you maybe should mess with it and maybe should think like broader down the line, lean into it. Um, the problem at Georgia Southern right now has absolutely nothing to do with option football. Absolutely nothing. Okay. Has everything to do with the administration, with the way the decisions are being like they need to go back and look and figure out why did we make that hire in Tyson Summers? Yeah, I, 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 would, I would love to know that too. Why did Lunsford end up being the choice? Was it a necessity? that we that we promoted the interim i yeah i think there was a tremendous amount of interest in that job and for them to promote an interim who won one game two 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 i'm sorry just a lot of questions i think a lot of questions in georgia southern right now i i think he showed just enough like they were basically like if he shows something we can give him the job and save ourselves a lot of you know money and and heartache and whatnot uh 52 nothing in south alabama 34 24 against louisiana lafayette okay done Good. We're good. Uh, now I'm pretty sure if I, I don't remember the timeline for sure, I think he got the full-time job after Louisiana Lafayette. And then they kind of laid an egg at coastal in this season. Uh, Cause that's what this always happens. Like after contract extensions and whatnot, but um, you know, they had a freshman quarterback 
you know, Shai Wirtz, pretty good runner. Uh, I mean, certainly not an amazing passer, but again, you know, if you can run, that's the most important thing. Uh, so maybe they can kind of maintain that identity and maybe Lunsford ends up being the right guy because of that. But yeah, is is a weird, it was a weird year. You, weird, weird school. Let's be honest. Weird school. You know, I, I, I love talking about Georgia Southern, uh, but it's still kind of a weird situation and will always Forever be, a will be weird. I mean, yeah. but you, you got to manage the weird the right way. Right, Bill? <laughs> Uh, I'm, I'm again just gobsmacked by our efficiency in getting through those 60 games. Um, proud of you. Um, yeah. Or 59, I guess. Um, we will be back next uh, same time next week. Blah blah blah. We're in Wednesdays in the off season. Um, we don't have to say that. We've been saying it for four weeks. You know where to find us. Uh, you can find me on Twitter at 38 Godfrey. You can find Bill at SBN underscore Bill C. Uh, please keep the questions coming. I'd like to move into a format every week where we pick one or two traditional long read emails. Um, kind of like what we got today. And then we can kind of break those out with a little bit of reportage or analysis. And then if you guys also in the same breath, just hit us up on Twitter with the random stuff too. So I think both work as we, um, I'm, I'm curious in experimenting with the off season format. So, um, I like both styles of questions. They don't all have to be tomes. Okay. If you got it, go for it. But sometimes, <laughs> sometimes a tweet is fine. The other thing is like people will send us tweets during the week and it's impossible to keep track of those. So We're that's, never, I will say that. Ever, ever, yeah. Um, I know you may not, look, you may not be on Twitter when we ask, but we actually, you know what? That's on us. I'm not going to be that. I'm not going to be that mean to our listeners. I love you guys. Just hashtag ask PAPN and I'll check. Oh, the yeah, hashtag. That's, that's not that? Yeah. And you can maintain that. Yeah. I was going to say if it's during, if it's like Saturday email, yeah. Um, because we're just, we're not going to keep track of that question, but if, you, if we if, get a hashtag going, ask PAPN would be good. Yeah. If you have a short question that you want to, that you want to hit up, just do ask PAPN in your hashtag. I'll check the hashtag instead of checking the mentions. And then if you want to email us a, a longer, you know, argument or idea or whatever, uh, please feel free to send those over. I guess email bill Boom. since I'm not good enough to get emailed. <laughs> All right. This is Bro- what you wanted. This is what you asked for. I mean, nobody wants more email. This is true. All right, robot. I'll see you next week. Yep.